0: That neuroplasticity that we have in our brain, they're making those neural pathways. And if you keep choosing this same path, you know, dad yells, food, dad yells, food. The brain goes, I don't need to work. The brain doesn't want to work. It doesn't want to decide something new. So when someone yells, food makes me feel better. Easy peasy, brings you right back to safety. So as you start choosing something different, like someone yells, walk away, someone yells, walk away. This actually will create, and you can see this in scans, it will create a new neural pathway. And after a while, if you don't use that food side, that actually will gray matter itself out. And you can see that visibly in scans.
1: Hey there, my friends. It's Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, and I want to welcome you back to another episode here on the Fit Father Project and Fit Mother Project podcast. Today, we're joined by my new friend, Sarah Miley. She is an internal family systems-informed certified trauma recovery coach and an experienced crisis advocate. Through healing of her own trauma on many levels, Sarah is passionate about helping survivors find the roots of their suffering and experience profound healing. Her focus is on survivors of developmental and childhood trauma, attachment wounds, emotional abuse and neglect, and PTSD, and those who often struggle with emotional and relational after effects of dysfunctional formative years and family relationships. She's had her own all-virtual practice called Full Circle Wellspring LLC, and she's the founder and the creator of the Personalized Trauma Healing System, which is a curated lifestyle design program focused on personal development and self-care for survivors. She's also the host of the Trauma Survivorhood podcast, where she aims to diminish the stigmas around trauma and bring stories of hope and inspiration to help us all heal. Sarah, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm grateful to have you here too. And specifically, the reason I wanted to bring you on is because I think this is actually a underserved topic of discussion as it relates to busy moms, busy dads who want to lose weight many of us have behaviors and we feel like we're like unregulated. We're unregulated with our eating or we just know that we get angry and there's just like emotional component to staying consistent with health. And many times it's because we had adverse childhood experiences. And I think this is particularly interesting because the roots of me actually getting passionate about creating Fit Father Project and then Fit Mother Project was because my dad died when I was nine years old. So that was in some sense like a trauma, although I didn't relate to it in that way. I used it as like Fuel and I kind of channeled a lot of this like anger, sadness, energy into constructive, you know, build up the health and fitness stuff and eventually teach people these things. But now, as I've gotten older, being a dad myself and having kids, I understand that although I made a positive out of that experience, it absolutely had an impact on my internal operating system. And, you know, a lot of the striving and that that deep demanding behavior that I had for myself was a way to kind of cope with losing a parent. So this touches me deeply. And I, I hope that we could go deep on this conversation and everyone listening can reflect on their own lives and maybe realize that there were some stuff that happened in your childhood that may be still playing patterns and scripts in your mind and your behaviors, or just looking at your kids and understanding that they're on this whole journey with us too. So please take us into a little bit of your personal story. I think it's going to be interesting for people to hear about maybe your trauma, your dysfunction and what you've healed to be here at this point now, coaching people through this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Hi, my name is Sarah. I, I'm dysfunctional too. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in uh, dysfunction. I grew up in chaos. Um, a lot of unhealed generational trauma had a big impact on me in my childhood. Um, we grew up with a, a, lot, a lot of mental illness um, in our home, in our family. Um, and because of that, there was a lot of just emotional strain, um, You know, sometimes the real traumas are what we don't talk about, right? What gets kind of brushed under the rug. Um, There was a lot of things that happened that I think if they had just been explained, it actually would have been really, really helpful. But, you know, um, I just turned 41 last week. So, you know, 80s and 90s growing up in that era, you know, a lot of things were not discussed and not talked about. There was a lot of physical abuse in both sides in, in multi generations beforehand. Um, and that brings about, you know, things like OCD and bipolar, uh, borderline personality, narcissism. Those things are developed. Um, inside of trauma. And so when you grow up in a world where that's your your main crux of people that are taking care of you, um, you do, you develop these these coping skills to make sure that you're okay, that you are surviving. Um, and one of my favorites is fawning. So in the four Fs, it's fight, flight, freeze. And then the newer one is called fawning. There's actually a lot more beyond that. You can flop, you can feign death, you can actually faint. There's a lot of Fs. Um, I was a really, really high functioning fawner, a people pleaser. Um, perfectionist. I really um, was just ap- absolutely textbook caretaker. That was really my role—the the peacemaker and just trying to make sure everyone was emotionally stable. If I could create an environment where people had peace around me, that's what brought me safety, and it really became my my coping skill. Um, I, I later endured a lot of spiritual trauma. We grew up in a in a religious uh, place, and I had a lot of religious trauma that led to some sexual trauma. Um, I ended up um, finding myself moving when I was seventeen. I just always wanted to go to New York city and that's where I went. Um, I left and I just moved there. I hadn't even been there, but once or twice, I think beforehand. And I just really wanted that anonymity. I wanted to be in a place where I was just a number where I just thought, you know, the world couldn't touch me and chaos, you know, I really thrived in chaos. And of course, New York city is a great place for that. Um, and I ended up having, uh, my, my son, when I was really young, I was still a teenager and, um, his father, I find out later, is very textbook narcissistic. Um, not part of our lives, thank goodness. Um, You know, I, I joke. I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't joke as much about it, but I do think it's funny. My commitment phobia and my fear of intimacy back then really saved me from probably marrying that person, because um, all my family is like, "Oh God, you're pregnant. You've got to get married." And you know, in the church world, that's just what you do. And I was like, "Ah, no!" Like that just doesn't happen. So that really did save me um, in that realm, but it did create a lot of issues for us. Um, there was a lot of legal drama there. Um, my son endured a lot of psychological and verbal abuse, um, over the time and, and they really have never had a relationship. And since then my son's developed some mental health issues himself. So now I am experiencing parental trauma, um, which is a whole different field in itself. You know, you think it's bad when it's happening to you, but when you're watching your children go through something like that, there's, there is no, there's no textbook for that. No one tells you what that's going to feel like or be like. So, um, yeah, a lot of range of trauma for me, starting at a very, very early age, all the way up. And there's you know, people in my life now that um, I've had to go no contact with, low contact, what we call gray rocking, which is just not really involving the person in our lives very much, but they can still text and, and reach out. Um, and I just had to set boundaries. I've had to learn boundaries. Um, and what happened a few years ago um, was more um, manipulation and emotional abuse from family members who I was caretaking way too much, totally enabling. And um it it finally, you know, bit me in the ass, so to speak. And uh that was seven, eight years ago. And since then I've really been on a mental health journey. I found a therapist had never been in therapy before. Uh didn't know. I didn't connect like you when I was a kid. I didn't connect with the word trauma. Um, I'm very fortunate that I found someone who is very well versed in trauma. I was just looking for a therapist to kind of figure out my life. Um, you know, my son was getting older, he was like 15, 16, and I thought Oh my God, I'm going to, I'm going to have an empty nest soon. Like, I don't even know who I am and wait, why don't I know who I am? Um, and so I went to this therapist and I said, Hey, what do I, what should I do with my life? (laughs) Um, and I tried to use him kind of more like a life coach. And what happened is everything just kind of broke open from there. It was like this whole mess of my life that I never really stopped to even explore, you know, what the heck even happened, uh, what I went through as a kid, um, some of the sexual abuse that I had been through as a teenager, and when I worked uh, in Manhattan in my early 20s, um, I, I never connected any of those dots. I never put together, wait, that person's a narcissist, and then oh, so that person's a narcissist, and okay, that person's a narcissist, and all this abuse um that i had that i i really didn't even know and i'm still really detangling a lot of that um and just really deconstructing my life and it's it's been you know seven eight years i still see my therapist weekly um and in that What's great is he has helped me figure out who I am, uh, what my purpose is, where I'm going simply because I've detangled the trauma and I've been able to untether myself from a lot of that past stuff that I've gone through. Um, and that's just been, I've just, I was just so fortunate because I had no idea why I was even going to sit down in this therapist's office. It was really, I was, I thought I was just having like a third, a third life crisis, you know, not Mm -hmm. quite a mid-year because I was only like 32, um. But I thought, surely it's just, it's just a crisis. I'll just, I'll get through this. And I was very fortunate to find someone who has become a big rock in my life and has walked me through many, many seasons, including some, some really, really traumatic things with my son. And I, I wouldn't even be here without him. And so, um, I've always been interested in psychology. Um, because we had mental health in our family, we had a lot of psychology books around and I just, I just loved them. Um, I pick them up and I'd be starting to ask my parents what these big words, what does over mean? And my mom would go, Oh, did you find that book again? You put that down. And, um, you know, they never took the books away. <laughs> they, they thought I would just stop reading them. So I just kind of kept that self-study. Um, I got involved in an MLM company when I was 21, 20 ish, 21, um, and they really focused on personal developments like how, how to win friends and influence people that those mm-hmm. kinds of books um loved it because I was like, Oh, this makes so much sense. It's like a mix of personal development, but learning your psychology. And that just set me up beautifully for this last decade of the work that I've done. Um, and I'm obsessed with podcasts and books and I just read, and I just want to learn. And I love the trauma therapist podcast by Guy McPherson. Um, and Guy had someone on in January of 2020, right before the pandemic. And she called herself a certified trauma recovery coach. And my whole life, people have said, you know, that personality you have, you'd be a great life coach, life coach, life coach. I heard it from strangers. I heard it from everyone. You'd be a great life coach. And I never went down that road and I didn't know why. And when I heard him introduce her as a certified trauma recovery coach, I thought, that's what I'm going to be when I grow up. That's it right there. (laughs) So uh, I kind of stopped what I was doing. I turned it off of double time. And I was like, I've got to listen. I have to know what this is, but I'm pretty sure this is what I (laughs) want to be. And I listened to the rest of the episode, learned about it. And I was able to go to to Jen's uh, site. She is a supervisor um, at the organization, the International Association of Trauma Recovery Coaching. Um, and I joined the program, got my certification, started the practice a little over two years ago, and haven't looked back since. The The mixing of the coaching aspect rather than therapy, right? Like being more of a coach walking beside someone, but working specifically with trauma survivors, that's that niche that my brain was kind of like always missing when I heard life coach. It just didn't sound quite right to me. So that's how I landed where I landed now. And just over the summer, um, I really started, um, I love lifestyle design. It's, it's kind of mm-hmm. my thing. Um, that's how I ended up in New York City at 17, 18 years old because I was 12 when I started saving money to do it. Like I just, mm-hmm. I'm very, very vision oriented, um, very yeah. big thinking. And getting into that lifestyle design, I thought, you know, trauma survivors really need this lifestyle design, Um, really digging into what you eat, how you sleep, um, how your mental health is, your emotional well-being, how your sexual health is, um, you know, what supports you have, what resources you have, being really intentional in your self-care and really focusing on yourself, that self-focus that we need, Um, creating a self-care regimen, like what works for you? Is it yoga? Is it Pilates? Is it going to a therapist? Is it more seeing a coach? Is it doing Reiki? Is it getting regular body work done? Is it, you know, finding the things that work for you? And it's so personalized because some things that might work very, very well for me, like breathwork or meditating is actually a trauma trigger for another person. And yeah. so finding exactly what works for you. And so I just kept pulling on this vision over the last six, seven, eight months. And over the summer, I just really started developing. So now I've trademarked a program called personalized trauma healing system. And that is lifestyle designed specifically for trauma survivors and the idea is just to really grow that window of tolerance. I can talk more about that if you if you want to go down that road. Window of tolerance or window of capacity, it's called. It's part of the polyvagal understanding how that body um, and your mind and your and your um, your sympathetic nervous system works to keep yourself regulated. And I'm finding that lifestyle design is imperative for trauma survivors to grow their window, but also to be able to stay in their window. And if they get dysregulated to kind of come back into it. And so, yeah, that's how I've landed here today. Just, you know, in, in my story and becoming a coach and, and I have the podcast as well. And we just, we love talking about trauma resources. Like we need more of that out there and we need more people to say, Hey, I'm a trauma survivor. Also, this is my story and like diminishing those stigmas. So
1: nice. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing all of that. It's a yeah. really that was a really good and succinct background on, you know, your life's work and why you're doing what you do. A couple of things that stood out to me is one, to do this work, it requires some space. Some space in your life to create the space for healing. Like I think a lot of us just get so caught up with our families and our work where you can just repress this type of deep work because you're just so caught up in the busyness. And I think people who listen to this podcast and are part of our programs eventually get to a, like a fed up point with their health and fitness where they ignored it for so long now they need to create the space to commit to a program. So how does someone start to create the space for like this kind of trauma work? like let's say someone knows they get triggered easily by their kids about certain things and they know it has some link to how they grew up. like What are some of the initial steps that someone can take before necessarily seeking help from a professional like yourself or another therapist? Like, how do we start to create more awareness in the space? Like, what are initial steps for someone that they can do, like from this podcast, from this conversation? Questions to ask, reflection, like guide us into some self-practice to begin the steps here.
0: Yeah. Oh gosh. I love that question. Um, I love the way you just said the word awareness. Cause when you were talking about space, I was like, Oh, he's talking about awareness. That was the word I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, yeah, we, we don't without awareness. There's literally, we can do nothing because we won't even know if we have a problem. We won't even know if we are getting triggered until we really gain that awareness. Um, mindfulness programs are great for this and, and it's called a practice for a reason. So there are some things that you can do. There's, there's a lot of free meditations online. Actually, my podcast is started uh, almost, uh, it has been two years, I think now, The first 78 episodes were solo casts. Um, Mm -hmm. I have changed it now. It is an interview style podcast, but what I was doing in those solo casts is I was doing a Monday um, guided meditation. Wednesday, I focused on internal resources. Friday was external resources. But Mm -hmm. on Monday with those guided meditations, those are all free on the Trauma Survivorhood podcast Mm -hmm. and those are all still on there archived. Um, You know, there's other kind of meditation apps that are very low cost. I think Calm is $70 for the whole year. Um, Starting to understand awareness is not... Necessarily just sitting here breathing, but it is becoming aware of the present moment, right? And there's different types of meditation. Some of them are focused on your breath, some of them are focused on the body, some are just gaining that mindfulness. So I would say the awareness is the first step. And if you are recognizing, wait, whoa, 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 I'm I, you know, I'm freaking out because something that my kids are doing, that's your awareness right there. That's your moment. Um, and how we say with, with awareness is there's this the stimuli happens the reaction happens. And there is always, even if it is a fraction of a second, there is a pause in the middle. And so when the stimuli happens, the kid says that thing that is really triggering for you, you do have a split second, maybe four seconds, maybe five seconds to respond in that reaction. Learning what to do in that middle piece is so important. Just taking that breath um, and so we talked a, a minute ago uh, with the system of the window of capacity, right? And so you can you can activate your parasympathetic or your sympathetic nervous system with your breath. So if you're going ready to go for a jog, you can actually activate your heart rate, get it going, and fill yourself with more oxygen. And when you are overstimulated and you need to come back down into your parasympathetic nervous system, you can actually do longer exhales and calm yourself down. So a really great way, especially if you are triggered or activated, your cortisol is starting, your adrenaline is starting. And before you get into a full-blown trauma trigger, which would be a fight, flight, freeze, fawn, any of the Fs, and it actually neurochemically floods your brain, you can actually take a few long deep breaths. And I, I say a good way to do this is to elongate your exhale on a double count. So if you can do three inhale, six out, or four in, eight out, five in, 10 out, or if you're really good at it, you can do six in on an inhale, count six on an inhale and 12 on the exhale. That elongation is what we use when we're resting, okay? And so when we're resting, your body's going, oh, well, we're safe. We're resting. Look at how relaxed we are. And you've actually told, you've used your breath to tell your brain, that you're okay and that you're safe and that you don't need this heightened activation because you're going to immediately recognize your heart's going to start to go beating and you're starting to breathe fast because your brain's ready to do something, to run, to fight, to yell at the kid, to get out of here, to fight, to freeze, to shut you down. And so controlling that breath with those long exhales actually puts you in that state of calm and tells your body that you're safe. So that's an immediate thing to do. Practicing mindfulness on a day-to-day basis is is a great way to start recognizing these triggers. And if you really do notice these triggers that are happening, this is where the good stuff happens. Because when you know that there's a problem and then you maybe remember something that happened in your childhood or in an abusive relationship, now you know what you need to work on. Now, like I said, when I went to my therapist, I was literally blind to all of this. And I just thought, I need to figure out who I am. And it's just like a third life crisis and blah, blah, blah. I didn't know what I was in for. Like it took me probably over a year before I ever even cried in his office. Like emotions escaped me. Like I had no connection to my emotions whatsoever. So in that moment, if you can stop and try to name an emotion, which takes work a lot for trauma survivors. If we were told to stop crying, to shut up and sit down. If we were told this energy isn't welcome here, right? When a kid gets angry and don't you be angry because that's like mom's job or dad's job. And so the not multiple people in the home can't all be angry or crying at the same time, right? And so if you grew up in that environment where emotions were stifled, just taking a quick moment to go, I'm frustrated. Okay. I'm cons- I'm, cons- uh, I'm confused. I'm concerned. Just naming what that is, is so important because then your brain hears it and is like, okay, so what do we need to do about that? What can we do? And then from there, there's millions of tools, but naming that emotion and calming yourself down in the moment is, is paramount to just getting a handle on these trauma triggers and on this activation, because it's horrible for your health to live in a dysregulated state all of the time. And I'm speaking from experience, a lot of trauma survivors, they struggle with internal things like migraines, um, a lot of joint issues, inflammatory disease, tons yeah. and tons and tons of GI disorders, a lot of autoimmune disorders. And we see that now in the study that they did in the 90s, the, the ACE study, right, the adverse childhood experiences, yeah. ACE. And that study talks about, you know, how likely you are to smoke in over drink and all these kinds of things, but oh, also to have this disease and this disease and heart disease and die young and your telomeres are actually shortened. Your yep. lifespan is shortened if you went through trauma, especially as a child while you were in your developmental year. So getting a grasp on your activations will improve your overall health. And it is hard to do without a lot of support, but to give people kind of a starting place to kind of jump into if they aren't ready to go into coaching or to therapy, that's a great way to start.
1: Yeah. And the cool thing is like every day you can do the practice understanding yes. that it's a practice. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing that when people catch themselves being like, oh, I'm having a food craving right now. Or, oh, I have a mental pattern that says I should eat ice cream right now, but it's 10 o'clock and I know I shouldn't. Like you're just becoming aware that these these different patterns, these thoughts and emotions like come into your awareness and then they can be acted on. So that's beautiful. I think the mindfulness practice. And I know for me, just a little personal reflection of my life, You know, I had a near life ending skiing accident around seven years ago and I was in so much pain after the leg surgeries and all that. And I had to learn how to become more mindful just by the nature of like the intensity of the sensation. And then that led me into a practice of actually learning how to meditate and still my mind and just sit in the joy of being itself And now it's a part of my day, every single day. And I found that it just helps me regulate my nervous system. And also understand like, I think it's there's your neural patterns and grooves, right? I mean, you talked about the sympathetic and parasympathetic, and then as, as it goes up into the brain, we have like the amygdala and the hippocampus. Amygdala is like the sphere emotion processing center. Hippocampus stores these memories. So these are literally neural grooves and patterns that have been hardwired. And so the process of changing them is just becoming aware. And like a little bit, every time you add more awareness, you're like changing a new neural pattern or weakening that old reactive one. And then over time, you know, you might not notice it immediately, but a year from now, you'd be like, holy crap, I don't get upset anymore about those things. It so it's has. like gradual and then it's sudden. So I'm sure that's a part of your yes. experience with this.
0: Yeah, I would say, you know, that the awareness piece is also that stimul that stimuli here in the reaction, the awareness is elongating or expanding that moment of pause that we were talking Mm -hmm. about, right? So the only way that you're ever going to combat, let's just use like binge eating, right? A binge eating situation is oftentimes very disassociated. You are Mm -hmm. very much not in your body. You are just going to the thing that you've been going to, And as you grow a little bit in that awareness, maybe now you're hovering still, you're still dissociated, you're out of your body, but you're watching yourself walk into the kitchen. You have no control. You cannot stop yourself, but at least you see it. And then as the time goes on, now you're more in your body. You're going in and you're going, okay, I'm choosing ice cream right now. Okay, not my healthiest choice, but I'm choosing it. Then later, as you get on along in that, now you go into the kitchen and you go, my coach taught me about breathing, but there's also ice cream. I'm still going to choose the ice cream. But now you've thought about a choice and eventually you're backing yourself out of that kitchen and you're getting to those really subtle, you're sitting on the couch, the commercial comes on, someone has an angry face on a commercial and is yelling at their wife and boom, you're up. And you're like, why did I just stand up? Now you're not even in or near the kitchen. And now you've already brought awareness to your situation. Mm-hmm. And you're just backing out that pause. And you're making it greater and greater between what happened and how you're going to respond. And now you go, you know what? I realized that was that was the angry face of that guy in that commercial. And that really scared me. And that's what you're used to when you were a child. And so if mm-hmm. this is coming from complex PTSD in childhood, It's important to not berate yourself and give yourself that grace. So if you can find the roots, I love helping people find their roots because I think it gives them so much clarity. And when we talk about all these, it sounds woo woo, this self-compassion, self-love, but here's where this plays in is that if you can figure out when you were three, daddy and mommy were always fighting and daddy would beat mommy and you're three. You have no friends, no siblings. You're scared to death in your bed. And who becomes your best friend? Food. Now, as you've grown up and you see a scary man on a commercial or your boss yells at you, and you have no idea that you just go home and you go right to that friend that you had. If you find the root of that is a little scared three-year-old in her bed, What are you going to yell at her for going to go sneak food? Are you going to yell at her for storing all that food under her bed? Um, You know, you're not going to do that. You're going to have compassion and go, oh my God, you're just afraid. And this is where, so I also practice in um, internal family systems, IFS. This is where coming to find that three-year-old part that started that binge eating, that needed that food, it was the only way her brain knew to keep her safe was to give her a little comfort. No, it's not so bad. Mommy's getting beat, but it's okay. Look, we've got cookies. That is a valid protective mechanism. And your brain did a great job trying to keep you safe. And all we can do is thank it and have compassion for it. And now recognize it's not serving me anymore. You know, when when the boss yells at me, I'm not going to go home and get beat and you can work those backwards and go, you know what? I can do something different because the situation is different. But your brain doesn't know that because it's always trying to compartmentalize. And we love our brains, but our brains are in charge of keeping us safe and alive. Your brain does not care at all whether you are happy, whether you have joy, whether you're content, whether you're in shape, it doesn't care what your, your physical health is. It just needs you to be alive and to be safe. This is where tapping into your spirit, into that soul of yourself, to find out what brings me joy. While well, being being fit, being in shape, going to the gym, um, eating properly, having good um, you know social life, having a good sexual health life. These things make me happy. These make, these create peace and ease and content for myself. And you get to pursue those. And your brain is just going, as long as you're safe. Cause as soon as I feel that thing that's not safe, we're taking you to safety. So, boss yells, we're going to food. And you're going, mm, that's not serving me. It's just, it's just not necessary anymore. It's no longer serving me. Thank you for what you did. And I have compassion for the little girl who needed that food but I don't need to go there anymore. It's not serving me. So I'm going to try X, Y, or Z. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to work it out. I'm going to go, if boss is still yelling at me over and over and over, I'm going to go look for a new job because hello, I'm an adult and I can do that. I can literally leave and go find a new job. When you're three, you can't pack your bags, tell your parents F you and put on your backpack and go get a new apartment. You Mm -hmm. have to learn how to be safe while you're staying. And when Mm -hmm. you're an adult, you get to tap into this beautiful spiritual soul thing and figure out where you actually want to go, what makes you feel regulated and safe and calm and gives you ease and joy and peace in your life.
1: Hey, it's Dr. Ray. I want to quickly pause this episode to thank you so much for listening to this Fit Mother Project podcast. I am just blown away at how amazing this podcast has become, all the powerful stories, all the great expert interviews, And I am so grateful for you for tuning in and being here with everything we're creating here at the Fit Mother Project. And I just wanted to pause to acknowledge you and thank you again for listening. Please keep listening and tuning in to all the great stuff we're doing here at the FMP. Let's get back to today's episode. At what ages, is there a particular, like we mentioned three, is there a particular formative time where people do start to make these? Like, let's say someone's listening to this and they like can't exactly pinpoint like I had something directly traumatic? Maybe they just, you know, maybe there's something from childhood, maybe some patterns like, can these be developed later in life? Is it pretty much you believe everyone has some version of this? Some just happen to have a more intense patterns due to more early trauma than others? I mean, obviously, the ACE score says certain people have way more adverse childhood events than others. Is there an age range for this? And what about maybe traumas that we pick up a little bit later in life?
0: Right. Exactly. You know, so that's a great question. So we say that the attachment period is from, is from infancy. There's speculation, whether it goes to six months, 12 months, 18 months, that's your attachment time. What happens between you and your caregivers in those first few weeks and months actually dictates all of the rest of your relationships, the rest of your life. So if you have an attachment wound or attachment trauma or attachment abuse, And I'm using those words differently because a wound might be something a parent didn't mean to do, Um, you know, especially if someone has postpartum depression or if there's a sick child in the home and then you're born into that and there's just a lot of attention on that sick child. But um, trauma or abuse might be actual neglect, right? Um, Not taking care of the child or being angry or abusive around the infant. So that attachment time is in there. And then they say that the develop, the developing brain, the developmental years is about the first seven or eight years. And in those years, that's where things like the aces are happening to you. After the age of eight, your brain, first of all, the human brain is still, is still developing until 2025 here. It's not fully, fully developed, but a lot of those neural pathways have developed. And this is where you see, like, you know, we're talking a third, fourth grader by now. They're kind of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. A kid who's four might be like a dinosaur, right? Yeah. But when you're, you know, fourth, fifth grade, now you're starting to think, I think I like to be a lawyer. Or, you know, my mm-hmm. grandfather was a doctor. That sounds really fun, right? They're actually mm-hmm. thinking for themselves. They kind of have that personality. This is where also some perseverance kicks in. This is where their trauma responses are already pretty well developed if they've been in pretty severe trauma. Uh, and or abuse in those first eight years. This is where their coping skills, um, a a child who's highly parentalized, right? So this would be someone who's where they have younger siblings, and they just learn innately to take care of the younger siblings because of the abuse going on. That's not something you're just going to just jet out of magically when you're 10, 12 years old, you're actually going to be more firm in that being your role and your personality. Uh, For things that happen later, like say you're sexually harassed at a job or, you know, there's a sexual assault as a teenager, there is PTSD that's more like acute. We don't use like big T, little T trauma anymore. Um, I know some people still do. We just kind of try to shy away from it. It's more acute traumas and chronic traumas, right? So your CPTSD stuff is childhood, developmental, ongoing. This also shows up CPTSD in like long-term relationships if you're in an abusive marriage for 20, 30 years, Um, Your acute traumas are things like, you know, sexual assaults by a stranger, car accidents, train derailments, um, the sudden passing of a a parent, um, you know, seeing an act of violence um, once or twice. Um, And those things develop different type of coping skills, right? If we're in a car accident, you've had a really great life, you're 14 years old, you, know, you don't necessarily think that you've had a lot of trauma, but you're 14 and your friend's driving too fast and you're in a really horrific car accident, um, a, a coping skill that might develop is, well, cars are just not safe, I'm not going in a car again. Um, and you find they don't want to get their license when they're 16, they don't want to drive with anyone who's not their mom and dad, it's really difficult for them to set foot in, in a car. That's super reasonable, again, because your brain's trying to keep you safe. Car, danger, no. Mm-mm, shut it down. Um, we're developing long term strategies to keep you safe on a daily, regular basis, especially starting in those early developmental years. This is where those are those hardcore coping skills that are harder to break, still very possible because you're right. That neuroplasticity that we have in our brain, they're making those neural pathways. And if you keep choosing this same path, you know, dad yells food, dad yells food. The brain goes, I don't need to work. The brain doesn't want to work. It doesn't want to decide something new. So when someone yells, food makes me feel better. Easy peasy, brings you right back to safety. So as you start choosing something different, like someone yells, Walk away. Someone yells. Walk away. This actually will create, and you can see this in scans. It will create a new neural pathway. And after a yeah. while, if you don't use that food side, that actually will gray matter itself out, and you can see yeah. that visibly in scans. Um, I love seeing the brain scans of people that have done this kind of work because what what wires together fires together. So if yeah. Dad yells, food those are now stuck together until you actively and intentionally pull them apart and choose something else on a regular basis. And that's really hard to do when you're say 12 or something, you know, it takes that maturity and coming to terms with it as an adult. And like you had said, you know, becoming a parent as well. That is one of the biggest things, you know, when moms and dads realize that their shit is now hitting their kids shit. Oh man, you don't, you don't want to repeat those patterns, but you're like, I don't know how to stop it. And you're not wrong. You really don't because you're not even necessarily conscious of it until you are. And then when you are your responsibility to change and grow and flourish and expand and choose different things, that's now your responsibility, you know?
1: And yeah, when you I understand that, I think like, that's that's where there's just like a, like whole lot, of a lot of promise in, ter- in terms of creating generational goodness instead yeah. of generational trauma. Yeah. And you could be the person that breaks a cycle that has been propagated over many yes. generations in your family. Yes. And that's, that's very purposeful and that's very beautiful. And like you're changing the trajectory of like a whole family tree from there and all Absolutely. the descendants that come from there is amazing.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's healing to be done, right? So with, with your children, say they're still young, say they're still in the home and you realize that you've had this pattern say of anger, right? And they're watching you be angry or they're watching you over drink or whatever. When you come to that terms and you actively choose to do your healing, the beautiful part is, is you can bring, don't be afraid to bring your kids into your healing. Uh, mommy's not doing that anymore. Daddy's not going to do that anymore. Apologizing. The healing that can happen inside of that child, they don't need to go to their therapist when they're 40 years old to work on that because you're going to actively be changing that pattern for them. And you're going to be explaining to them what was even happening. You know, I didn't even realize I was doing this. My dad did this. I don't know why I was doing this. I'm so sorry. I'm going to work on this. Can we work on this together? Help me be accountable. And Mm -hmm. it brings that child into your healing. And it gives the child a purpose, right? It's like, I am here. And because of me, daddy is changing his his drinking habits. Mommy is changing her eating habits. They're not yelling anymore, right? That alone is now trauma healing for you is now trauma healing for the child. Because I guarantee, you know, if they're 10, 12 years old and you're just getting a handle on like drinking or anger or something of that nature, that child has been through trauma. But you're Mm -hmm. working on their healing now, right now with them because they're able to see that. And there's nothing wrong with admitting to your kids that this has been going on and that you're just now catching yourself and I'm getting help and I'm going to AA or I'm going, you know, I'm going to make changes. My therapist is helping me, you know, bring them into that healing. I think that's beautiful.
1: I do too. And especially because the word healing literally comes from the root health, which means wholeness. And I think when we feel like disintegrated and fragmented, it's because we're taking parts of ourselves, even the, the shadow parts that we don't like and we're walling them off or keeping them hidden from people and this whole integrated aspect, which requires humility, requires great communication, but seems really amazing. Uh, like to the, what that what's possible when the whole family's enrolled. And look, maybe if you're listening to this and you and you are still at the point where you haven't had frank trauma, or maybe you have, you can still apply the same stuff to just your straight desire to like lose weight, you need healthier and exercise like you could just get your kids enrolled in any behavior change. Because I think with trauma, it's just like these are deep seated, neural yes systemic patterns from very intense emotional events. But the lighter version is still just like developing bad habits as coping mechanisms over decades. Like it's not as hardly neural grooved, but it's still like largely going to be the same process. Awareness, enrolling your family and your and everyone in it, like getting support, designing your lifestyle in a way to be successful. So I hope you see that this is like trauma is just like the expert mode of this whole behavior change. But also what's cool is that there's all these legit strategies. I want to ask you about sleep because I think it's interesting, like our whole human experience and we don't give it enough credit. We all like think of our lives as like the waking state or up between, you know, 5am and 10pm or whatever. And then we have this whole bit when we're asleep, when the conscious mind settles down, subconscious stuff comes out, our bodies regenerate, our brain cleans itself, a lot of amazing things. How does sleep relate to trauma? How does sleep relate to mental health? Like in your practice, like what do you t- teach about sleep? Any hygiene stuff? Just the importance of it? Let's just get into that connection because I, I have an intuition that it's more important than many people realize.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. The um, I actually use sleep as like my base. Um, I, I call them uh, pillars of, of uh, lifestyle design. And I was explaining why lifestyle design is so important on a solo cast that I did that's going to launch on on this Friday on the thirteenth. Nice. So it's really interesting because I just have. Happen to grab sleep as one of them. But sleep is one of those really kind of nasty good things because if it's good, it's good. And if it's bad, it's bad. Um, trauma survivors specifically, this is a huge area of deficit for trauma survivors. At the end of the day, they are now alone in their bed in the dark. It's quiet. If they have a coping skill of staying busy, Now you're trying to tell your body to be quiet and your brain's like, Hey, we got some stuff to talk about because you've been ignoring yourself all day long because that's your, your coping skill. Um, we have things like this is where night terrors will pop in, right? So you're afraid to close your eyes. You've got all these memories flashing back at you. Um, we also have things like connecting to the soma body. So your your, your your somatic connection is your internal connection to your body, right? So if someone else touches me, that's not a somatic connection. It's me recognizing my, my body sensations, right? And so when you lay down and things are quiet and now you're still, this is where restless leg really kicks up. Um, this is where, you know, you want, you feel like you got to get up and you've got to go do something else. Let me, Oh, did I do those dishes? Did I do this? You're looking for something to go do there. There are uh, clients that I have. They will just get up and go take a walk in the middle of the night. And I'm like, are you safe doing that? Like, is that actually okay? But they just feel like I didn't get all that energy out. And it's like, but you didn't stop all day. Why do you still have energy? It's Mm -hmm. actually the brain saying it's not safe to lay here and have a somatic connection right now. This doesn't feel safe. And that happens a lot with sexual abuse and sexual trauma survivors where your body, you're the one who's not safe. It's not that angry guy yelling at you or that boss that looks at you wrong. It's your body that doesn't feel safe. And so it's really, really hard to connect in that way. Um, so this is a really big topic for trauma survivors. Um, also sleep dictates, like you said, everything, everything. My goodness, mm. if you get a good night's sleep and you wake up feeling rested, you're, the world is your freaking oyster that day. Like sure. you're on fire. And when you don't, um, the other thing with trauma survivors is if they wake up in the middle of the night, whether it's a fear or a dream or whatever happened, the chances of them getting back to sleep, it can be several hours where they can lay there. And now you've gotten a little bit of sleep been awake for a long time and then you got a little bit more sleep and you kind of just wake up feeling like crap. Um, So when you wake up and you're not feeling well, now your day is set off wrong. This is where you're set up for failures. Oh, you were going to quit smoking today? You're probably not. Oh, you were going to not eat that ice cream at 10 o'clock tonight? You probably are because you need something going. Oh, you were going to lay off on the caffeine? Not today, we're not, right? And so all those other things that your brain's like, you can't, you can't do this today? because I don't have the energy. It's almost like this little demon sitting on your shoulder Yeah, because he's not well rested. And he, you know, it's, you just, you can't take as much. The reason that I talk a lot about the window of capacity, the window of tolerance, they're, they're interchangeable terms, but Um, in polyvagal, that window of tolerance for trauma survivors is so, so small. They are just living life in a dysregulated state. They don't know what safety feels like. They don't know what it feels to be calm. They don't really know a lot of joy. They don't have a lot of access to content and peace, right? And so they go up and down in dysregulation or the hyper and hypo arousal states. And the more that you can control and dictate and and plan out your lifestyle design. The, the larger that window is going to get, mm. and that window of capacity is where you're calm. It's where you're regulated. It's where you're safe. It's where you're feeling good about yourself. You can bring self compassion. Doesn't yeah. mean you don't still have ups and downs throughout the day, but instead of always going this for this survivor here, I, we're gonna uh, the the video. So I'm talking about a video for people who are who are listening. But I'm making my hands really really small. Mm. When you go up like this in dysregulation and then come back down, if this window were a little bit bigger, you actually would still be regulated, even though that guy just yelled at you or even though that thing happened. So sleeping, eating, diet, exercise, sexual health, social health, um, you know, following your dreams, having a a passion and a purpose and a career, having good hobbies, being creative, having time of play, all of these pillars of of lifestyle design is actually going to grow your capacity to have a larger window of tolerance. Now, uh, when yeah. you get into dysregulation, this is where trauma recovery uh, coaching or, or therapy or psychiatry, wherever it is that you go, this is where you're getting tools to bring yourself back into to mm-hmm. your window of tolerance because you've gotten dysregulated. This is yeah. where you've learned breath work or meditation, or you phone a friend, or, you know, you know, the things that make you, or you go for a walk, you pet your dog, all those things that bring you back into regulation. But if your window is so, so small you're gonna constantly be needing to use tools. And so what I like to do is not just teaching you the tools to regulate when you're dysregulated, but if we grow that window, you're just gonna be on a regular daily basis and sleep is one of those. Sleep, nutrition, exercise, those physical things so that you feel more yourself. You feel empowered to be like, no, today was the day. I said I'm not having any more caffeine today. I don't eat caffeine because I slept well. I'm not going to grab that bagel. I'm going to eat that healthy fruit. Yeah. Making those good choices, it kind of starts with that. So there's, um, there's sleep experts, um, lots of books that have been written about this. There's tons and tons of science. But it's kind of like your day doesn't start at 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning. They actually like to start their day when they go to bed. That starts their next 24 hours because mm-hmm. they think sleep is that important that that 10 p.m., is their start of their following day. What happens in that cool bed when concept. they're sleeping is literally now part of their next day. And that is so, so true. So tackling things like sleep is really important. Um, I have clients who, um, you know, they use they use helps for that, um, Ambien. They use the melatonin. Um, But they're working to come off of those, but we're working slowly, right? Because it is so important. I don't want you to just jack up your sleep, right? We need you to have a good night's sleep so that you're rested. But working on, well, what is the triggers, how can we get into our bodies and fall asleep? Could we do some meditation before bed? Are you able to access any kind of sex, um, sexual health or any kind of self-pleasuring before you go to bed? That's a great way to get a good night's sleep. Are we able to, um, you know, if you're spiritual, do you pray? If your brain's going, 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 can we journal? If you just take a pen and a paper, not journaling in a phone because you don't want those bright lights on, mm-hmm. but the physicality of having a pencil on paper putting those thoughts out just going just stream of consciousness going with everything that's bothering you that is proven to help the brain quiet down before sleep and these yeah. things are super important super super important
1: it's really well said i, I want to comment on a couple things in no particular <laughs> order one is this like window of tolerance and capacity what I what I heard is when someone has like you're, you're, you don't have a high window. Like A lot of things can deviate you very quickly. And as you become more resilient because you have a good lifestyle design, basically following like what we preach here at Fit Father, Fit Mother, you have a lot more resiliency so things won't shift you off. And I think that's why so many people who come in to our programs for health and fitness end up finding that they have a lot of emotional healing. And I think what's actually happening is whether or not they've gotten to the root of their healing, they've increased their capacity tremendously so the triggers aren't there. Another thing that came to mind is when people are starting a health and fitness journey, like the beginning stage in the first 30 days, 60 days, it's like very critical because you don't have a deep roots yet. It's like a young plant that's like planting and roots are growing there, but they're still very easily pulled out. In that case, having a very structured design around I meal prep, I know this is exactly the foods I eat. And like that can almost give you this, this greater window of success that then helps you get deeper roots. So and there's probably the same thing with trauma recovery. You probably use these tools and get back to a very structured, well-known system. But as you become more resilient over time and you do more healing, you can open up to a lot more flexibility. So I think these are important forces. And then one other thing I'll share is like, for the nervous system, light is activity. And I think if someone's listening to this and like what you mentioned on the phone, I think it's more important than people realize. Like when you have the light blasting on your phone or your TV, which is the spectrum of blue light that suppresses melatonin. And melatonin is... So, so important. Like, it is a neuro anti inflammatory. It basically increases all these anti inflammatory and healing compounds in the brain, as well as getting the nervous system into a restful state, helps the immune system and women. It aids in weight loss. And if you still don't have a filter on your phone, then and, and you just do it now, go into accessibility in yes. your settings, go to brightness and turn on like night shift and have it on most of the day. But, like, point being, is the light is a signal that will continuously trigger kind of in a sense, trauma for your nervous system. It's supposed to be dark, but it's light and you'll have dysregulation. So these lifestyle factors are massive.
0: Yes, yeah. And in addition to that, a great way to get a good night's sleep is to start first thing in the morning. So if you're Mm. struggling with your sleep, whenever you wake up, 6, 7, 8 a.m., getting outside, unmasked, no UV, no sunglasses, and you just go outside. They say just 10 minutes, even on a cloudy day, and just let that natural blue light at that hour that sets a clock yes. for like twelve, I think it's thirteen to fifteen hours or twelve to fourteen hours, where your melatonin will start to kick in naturally. I'm yeah. telling you, I've had to do that. Um, so I used to work overnights before the pandemic, and when the pandemic mm-hmm. hit, it took me almost a year to get my sleep back in under control. And yeah. getting outside first thing in the morning on a cloudy doesn't even matter if it's raining just 10 little minutes, well, you'll notice you are actually tired about 12 hours later. And yeah. as soon as you're tired, try to get yourself to bed. The other thing that we have here, and I think this is really huge in our country, in a country where they work a lot of long hours. So we mm-hmm. don't have a lot of 40 hour workers anymore. Everyone's doing about 50 to 80 hours a week. And that's with you know yeah. commutes and, and the kids, they've got soccer and baseball and piano and all the things, right? We have, um, it's called bedtime revenge, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sleep revenge at the end of the day, you're like, well, I'm owed at least an hour to myself. And so that's where we sit down and we want to watch that episode of the bachelor yeah. or love is blind or whatever it is that For we're sure. watching right now, you know, and it's like, it's very revengeful. It feels like you're getting something because you're getting a moment. Yeah. This is also usually when we go into our kitchen because commercials are all about food in America. It's yeah. so the number one things that Europeans say when they come to visit here, they're like, what is with all the food commercials, but just taking that hour to sit on the couch because you feel like you deserve it because you haven't stopped for 14 hours. This is where building in something that looks like a hobby or play or creativity during your day. What do you do on your lunch break? Could you go to the Mm -hmm. gym on your lunch break? Could you take a walk? You know, do you love spending time with your kids? Maybe they're doing too many sports, too many activities. How about just playing with them for an hour after school, helping them with homework instead of going, I'm really tired, but I haven't even sat down all day for myself. I'm just going to start right. watching TV before, you know, it, it's one, two o'clock in the morning, right? And they say that the average American watches four to six hours of TV a day, Dang. but we work like eight to 10 hours. So how is that possible? And then we have it on, of course, while we're sleeping, which is also, as we we all know, this is not recommended. It messes up your REM sleep, your deep sleep. You're not in there. Yeah. Alcohol is another thing, right? You just want to sit down, watch the game with a beer. You yeah. might think you're getting good sleep because you fall asleep really quickly. Hey, I didn't need that melatonin or Ambien. It must have been the beer. But if you are monitoring your sleep, your REM sleep is royally screwed up with alcohol. Um, yeah. You know, caffeine late in the afternoon because you've got to stay awake because you've got to go to four different kids, you know, sports activities. So you grab that caffeine and you're all messed up there. So there are things that you can do throughout the day that are going to affect what your sleep is going to look like that night.
1: Mm-hmm. Really
0: and how well you sleep said. at night affects your day. For yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah.
1: I, I yeah. want to pivot a little bit and ask you about like your take on like technology and kids, because we're hearing about this mental health crisis with children of all ages right now. But I mean, I have a daughter, particularly young girls who are getting brought up on phones. And yeah. there's a lot of mental health stuff that's, that's happening right now. What, what's your what's your take and anything you want to share in relating to technology, kids, and how how these can be a part of our lives but not like rule us or maybe some of the just straight damaging effects of this stuff? Like, what do you speak into on that?
0: This is a, this is a tough topic. This is one of those that here's the thing. So for trauma specifically, trauma isn't just what happened to you, but shouldn't. It's also what should have happened to you that didn't right? Neglect is actually more difficult sometimes than straight out abuse, okay? So you have a child who maybe grew up with a very neglectful, flat-faced kind of parent. That parent traumatized them more than the one that actually beat them. Well, I know this one doesn't love me because they beat me, but this one I'm not sure, right? That's actually more traumatic. So I think the only way to really combat this, because technology is everywhere, our kids need to know how to use computers. It's the only way that they're ever going to do anything, right? We use social media for a lot of good reasons. The only things that we can really do, in my opinion, to combat this, where, you know, you can say, you're not going to have a phone until you're 14. Well, now they're made fun of every day at school. Well, now it's, you know, school shootings. People want their their kids to have phones so that they're safe. And then, you know, it's like, oh, well, you're not going to be on it for this long, or you can't be on it for this long. No, nope, Only one hour. No, nothing during Monday through Friday. The kids then start sneaking it, right? It's an addiction. It's a habit. So I think the only thing that I can really say here is to speak into your children louder than what the internet is speaking into them. If you, especially for girls, And I think, I think your listeners understand why I'm saying that, oh, we're combated constantly where we're not thin enough. We're not pretty enough. Here's your makeup, more makeup, more thin, more diets, more this, more that we are never going to be enough. The internet is going to, they need us to feel insecure so they can sell us stuff. So with your children, as young as, as, as they are the day that they are born, telling them their value and their worth telling them they're beautiful telling them that you value them for whatever it is they've got a great voice they're good on the piano you know boys if they're not into sports that's something they're going to get made fun of online what do you mean you're not into sports oh you go to the ballet or what are you gay and now you're just having all this hate talk but if the child is secure because their parent helps them be secure they're going to look at that and go no i'm actually not gay i just like ballet F you by, they won't even be phased by it. Now I say, obviously they won't be phased by it. It just, it won't traumatize them. It won't trigger them in such a way where now they're self-harming and those kinds of things. It's still hurtful. It hurts, especially if someone that you like in school, you know, says something or if a rumor starts flying, those things are damaging, they're impactful. But if you are actually secure and you've got a pillar of stability inside of you because your parents feed that every day, that's what's going to outlast the internet. Kids, unfortunately, we just, we need to get them through to that maturity, right? Because for a 13-year-old, everything is the biggest thing, right? Someone wore their same sweater to school. That is, mom, you don't (laughs) even know. It's the worst thing ever. I can never go back to Everything is so intense for them. And we know, because we're the adults, that eventually that is going to fade out. And so we just need to get them through those years where everything is so important, Mm-hmm. and just feeding into them the love and the affection, the affirmations, their worth. Make sure that they build that. And I think that's really the only way you can combat it because set whatever rules you want. These kids are sneaking. People are sneaking technology into prisons. I mean, if you yes. don't think that your kid can act, uh, my son's 21 years old now. Uh, and there was a time where he was grounded. Oh God, he was probably 13 or 14 years old. And I would shut the Wi-Fi off at night. Do you know that this dude figured out how to hack into our printer's Wi-Fi? I didn't know our <laughs> printer had Wi-Fi. What do you mean the printer has Wi-Fi? He like used that as like a like a modem or a router or something. What in the heck? So he's still in there playing his video games at whatever time. I'm in bed going, I did such a good job. I shut that Wi-Fi off. I'm going to sleep. He tapped into it in the printer. Guys, I'm telling you, you're never going to be able to fight this with the kids. The only thing you can do is, is create stability and security for them. Let them know who they are. Otherwise, the world's going to tell them who they are, especially, you know, especially if they're growing up in the society that's a little bit more traumatic. Maybe they're out of school, a lot of rough kids, you know, understanding, teaching them that bullies are bullied. Bullies are bullies for a reason. And I think that yeah. doesn't condone a bully. We want to make sure our kids are not condoning bullies, right? There needs to be justice, but to have compassion. So if they're being bullied by a child at school or at someone online, they're going to go, wow, I feel so sorry for you. I know I'm beautiful because daddy told me 15,000 times yesterday, I'm beautiful. <laughs> I'm sorry, your daddy doesn't tell you that you're beautiful. And now you're attacking me, right? And yeah. you can see you're plastered with makeup. You're trying to show your breasts. You're 13 years old. Like, what are you doing? Your daddy yeah. just doesn't tell you how much he loves you. And your kids will recognize that, you know, they'll be able mm-hmm. to see through that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's that hurt people hurt people. Yes. And I think what what you shared, though, is so powerful because it's a frame for us to relate to one another with compassion Even when there's behavior that's like not great. And maybe even to look at our parents through that nice lens, too, where they, if they treated us poorly growing up, it's largely because they probably had some messed up childhood stuff that they didn't know how to cope with and pass on. And look, there are actual people out there who, you know, fall into the psychopath category that literally just hurt people like intentionally, but I'd say 90% of plus of people are in the category of are trying to do their own coping. And if we can seek them with compassion that they're actually hurt, makes it very easy for us to kind of forgive them or makes it easier, I should say. And, you know, I did a I did a, a brainwave training in Sedona, Arizona, where they hook my brain up to EEG electrodes. And then they go through like a lot of basically like, life coaching, counseling, one of the main things they found that increases the healthy brainwaves is forgiveness.
0: Mm. So I think like,
1: because it's like taking that emotional weight off to go back and forgive many of those people, the quote unquote perpetrators. And I know it's obviously a part of trauma healing, but I just want to bring that up because insofar as we can lighten the load by forgiving people and seeing that they are just acting out of their own unconscious hurts, um, then it's it's a place where we can find compassion. And that's, that's something that I think all the great religious traditions share as a heart of of the good virtues that we're looking to cultivate.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, there's lashing out as a trauma coping skill. And then there's the ones, hi, I'm one that are internalizers and we lash inward, right? Mm. And so maybe we don't hurt other people, but we're constantly hurting ourselves. Right. Um, you also have people who get to benefit off of people like me, who my coping skill was caretaking and and making sure that everybody was peaceful right yeah. that's that's just someone right here that you could have walked all over that you could have manipulated easily many many people did um until mm-hmm. i got a handle on that and learned how to set boundaries cuz i didn't even know you i was set boundaries it. early yes exactly and
1: that's a question i want everyone to say is wow. like are you the person like just reflect on this question from this conversation is do i need to set more boundaries and where do i need to set more boundaries might be a question and there's going to be boundaries with others interpersonal or with yourself yeah too, yeah perhaps yeah. so i yeah. think that's a powerful question for people to reflect on mm-hmm.
0: yeah i love that yeah and with habits you know one of those things of you know setting setting boundaries around habits you know especially if it's a coping skill so when i take on a new client i find out what you know some of their habits are let's say that it's binge eating or say that it's you know driving 100 miles an hour down the down the street you know they just get a get a rush out of that or promiscuity or whatever it is I actually, in the first few months of of trauma recovery coaching with them, I don't want them to force themselves to stop their habits because their habits were keeping them safe. And I guarantee, especially Mm -hmm. those first, let's say 12 to 20 sessions, that's going to come up stuff that they haven't talked about from their childhood is going to come up. And like, now you're out here and you're just going to berate yourself for binge eating now, now that you're talking about all of this. No, no. We'll work on that. Let it out first. Let it come out because sometimes things just spontaneously heal. There are some people like with sleep, for instance, right? Sleep or, or just poor, you know, poor eating habits or something where it's not an actual eating disorder, just emotional eating. Once you've dealt with those emotions or you can name an emotion and go, you know, right now I'm really freaking pissed at so-and-so you realize you don't need that Snickers bar, right? Your brain is not even asking for it because you named it, you dealt with it, you let the anger get out of you. So sometimes things just spontaneously heal. I have a lot of clients that are like, oh yeah, mm -mm, nope, I do not sleep at all, at all, at all. Two or three months later, we check back in. Uh, We call you know, the activities of daily living. So that's specifically sleeping, eating, socializing, and, exercise, and then just like what a daily regular day, quote unquote, regular day looks like for them. Um, it's just one of our protocols. And we check in every 30 days for the first 90 days. And then afterwards we kind of taper off, but we're looking for a baseline. And it's mm-hmm. amazing to see those couple of pillars right then and there, just magically kind of changing. You know what? I still have some nightmares sometimes, but I'm not so afraid to go to sleep. You know, I've been going to sleep pretty easily. I haven't even been taking that medication. I haven't even been popping that Benadryl anymore, you know, and that's yeah. just spontaneous because they're getting it out and they're finding ways to heal. And so for trauma survivors, all of those kinds of things, were setting boundaries around habits, saying, you know, okay, if you've been a binge eater, if that's been your emotional go-to, then you completely change and now you're eating healthy. And if you think I'm going to have a dessert tonight, is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's have a dessert. Cause now if you restrict too much, you're just going to yo-yo yourself backwards. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, you're stretching an elastic and you don't want to go like this. Cause then it's yeah. just going to fling. You've got to yeah. go little by little, you know, and that's where self-compassion comes in. And yes, the compassion also of your parents or your family, especially with this generational trauma, the more self compassion you can have where you can go, I know what I do, the things I do, just like, we're not going to yell at that little three-year-old, right. That started hoarding food at three. We don't need to yell at ourselves when we do bad things. But then also we go, I might not know all of mom and dad's story. Or I might not know grandpa and grandpa's whole story, but I'm going to give them compassion. Not yep. to condone, you know, if you were beaten, if you were abused, but that forgiveness and leading with compassion is always going to win every time because you're just going to yeah. feel better about yourself. For sure. Yeah. That's yeah. just,
1: that's, that's for you. Yes. More so it is for the other person. It's mm-hmm. beautifully said. Now I think this was a really insightful conversation we covered a lot of ground and I hope people who listen to this take some actual reflection into your own life and and not just listen to this from an intellectual standpoint but from a personal reflective standpoint there's a lot to be garnered here and I know Sarah from your story like it was really pivotal for you to get connected with a therapist to help you kind of go through all of this and I know this is also what you do so please tell us if someone was inspired by this conversation, how they can connect with you, some of your sites and the way you work again. And in case someone wants to reach out and say, hey, listen to you. And uh, I think I have a journey to begin and I'd like some help.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, thank you so much again for having me on. It's been a pleasure and a joy to, to speak with you today. Um, so, I have a, a private practice it's called Full Circle Wellspring. Um, and on there, I have my new uh, trademarked program called Personalized Trauma Healing System. So, you can go to Full Circle or Personalized Trauma System.com. Um, and it just brings you to the same site, different pages. There's actually a free assessment um, on the PTHS uh, site. So, that one will just be five, ten minutes. And it just gives you some introspective questions. See if maybe this is something for you, especially lifestyle design, if you're a trauma survivor, um, we do offer free webinars. Um, we've got a couple of them in October, November, December, January already on the schedule. I'm starting a 12 week masterclass to dig deeper into it, but even right that doesn't come until February. Um, but even right now, I'm available. I'm only taking a couple of clients because I'm working 12 week packages, and this is very, very intense, customized, personalized private packages. So I'm only taking a couple of clients every quarter for these. Um, and these packages are available right now. Um, and We've got some introductory prices until the end of the year. So they can find me there. They can always send me an email if they have any questions. And of course, if they want to hear uh, other interviews of people who've gone through trauma, if they want to get some free resources, that would be uh, the Trauma Survivor Podcast as well.
1: Sarah Miley, thanks again for your time and your wisdom and your Thank compassion. You. I appreciate this.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Have a great
1: day. Hey there, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Fit Mother Project podcast. If you love what you heard, I have a favor to ask you. Please consider taking 60 seconds right now to leave us a rating and review on our podcast. Leaving us a review is super quick. It only takes a minute and it's so, so helpful to us as it really boosts this podcast to reach more people who need this information and this message. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, you can leave us a star rating and review. If you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the like button and leave us a comment. Overall, I truly appreciate you being with us here on the podcast. On behalf of me and my entire Fit Mother Project team, we truly feel honored and grateful to support you and your family on your journey to fantastic health. I thank you for your support of this podcast and of this mission.